Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 8.44 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 7th of April, 2022, and this is episode 571 of Bitcoin and getting a little pissed off about what's going on down there in Miami. I won't get into it too far, but uh, in my opinion, in case you don't know, this particular um, conference is actually shaping up to be just as bad, if not worse, than last year as far as shit coinery is concerned. I just don't get it. How hard is it to vet your speakers? How difficult is this? Is it just impossible to vet people who are like not going to come on and talk about freaking shit coins? You know, I mean, we already got Na- Naib Bukele has already dropped out because he's got some pressing business at home. And I'm not saying that he's lying about it or anything like that. He probably does. He's probably having to fight the freaking WEF and the IMF and all the rest of those scumbag idiots. But in his place as a keynote speaker, they put up Serena Williams, who's been ta- who likes Ethereum better than Bitcoin anyway. She's already said that. She's already using the word cryptocurrency instead of Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin conference, y'all. How difficult is this? Is it going to be a situation where we really are just going to need to build a brand new conference and somehow or another get people involved that are not willing to sell their souls to the freaking devil and get people who just understand this is a Bitcoin conference. It's not about Ethereum. It's not about shit coinery. It's not about cryptocurrency. It's about Bitcoin. Is this that hard? Is it impossible? Because let me tell you what happened to South by Southwest. When I was going to South by Southwest, and this was like a couple of years after it started, I want to say that its first conference was 88 or 89. Like I'm talking 1988 or 89. That's how long this shit's been with us. When I went, it was like, I think I went twice and it was like uh, 1990 and 1991. The conference was still small. The conference was still at the Hyatt Regency on the river uh, in Austin. It was not at the conference center, okay? It was still in a hotel. And I watched it go from one of the coolest places that you could be at with really cool industry guys that you could actually ask questions to, like at like, uh, I can't remember his first name, but he he was a a lawyer in the entertainment industry out of LA named Schlesinger. And he was one of the highest power entertainment lawyers walking and he, he was walking the halls. You could just stop him. You could go talk to him. You could go talk to all, you could go talk to Eric Johnson because he was there. You could go talk to, I was at a, uh, I was at a panel called signed and dropped from your contract. And Marsha Ball was on, was on the panel. And uh, Joe Ely was on the panel and like four other guys were on the panel and sitting right in front of me was the bass player for uh what was i can't remember the uh not the black crows who i'm thinking of um oh i can't remember the name of the band but at the time you couldn't get away from it it was the band that wrote ring on your finger you know got a ring on my finger going jangling or changing my pocket going jangling all that kind of shit and we just were all hanging out and as that as that conference progressed and it got bigger and bigger more and more garbage crap started happening until now it's no longer South by Southwest. It's South by what the fuck? Because if you ever went to one of the earlier conferences and then you go to one of the, one of these later conferences, it is like, it's not, it's nowhere close to what South by Southwest used to be. And that 
by itself is sad. And it looks like that that's happening to the Bitcoin conference. And that's really, it's really disturbing. I gave, I gave Bitcoin Magazine a huge break last year because it was going to be big. It was, they were still a small crew, but this year should have been different. They should have known better. They should have, they should have taken the feedback that they got from, from all the Bitcoiners complaining about the shit coinery and all the shit coiners that they lit in to speak and did something different, but they didn't. It looks like it's just worse. And I'm, I, it really bugs me. Uh, if somebody is out there that's willing to do an actual Bitcoin conference, I'd like to see it. I will sure as shit talk about it if you do it, um, because somebody's going to have to do something. This is becoming absolutely ridiculous. Now, that said, we are off. Nomsios has the first one up this morning. Bitcoin Magazine, yes, I know, but still, it's, I mean, the conference is actually kind of, even though it's, it's Bitcoin Magazine conference, the conference people are kind of separate from the people that are the editorial staff. So it's still a good, the, the magazine part is actually still good, at least so far. So what implementation of Bitcoin's Lightning Network should you pick? Yeah, at Bitcoin 2022, a panel of top tier developers sat down on the open source stage to discuss the different options available to users who wish to use the Lightning Network, an overlay network on top of the Bitcoin blockchain that brings ultra fast and super cheap Bitcoin payments. Quote, by lifting things off of the Bitcoin chain, we get this freedom to experiment and explore different trade-offs, said Christian Decker, Lightning Protocol Engineer at Blockstream. In addition to Decker, the roundtable conversation also included Roast Beef, CTO of Lightning Labs, and Matt Corallo, Lightning developer at Spiral. The panel was moderated by Vivek, corporate development manager of Blockstream. Similar to Bitcoin, the Lightning Network leverages the concept of nodes running specific software to communicate with each other and construct and route payments. However, instead of having a de facto standard node software like Bitcoin Core, Lightning brings a slew of options to the table with the sole requirement that they all implement the same basic features to ensure that they can communicate with each other. The fact that there exist different Lightning implementations means that there are different offerings available to users and they can pick which node to run based off of their specific needs. However, that can be intimidating and confusing for users as they tiptoe into Bitcoin's second layer. Among the many different options, prominent Lightning node offerings include Lightning Labs LND, Blockstream's Core Lightning, Async's Eclair, and Spiral's LDK. So let's go through these. LND. Lightning Labs offering, LND, is known for its extensive documentation. This makes it easy for developers to play around with the software and create applications that communicate with and extend the functionality of the implementation. Due to its focus on developer integration and the development of applications on top of it, as well as on an easier setup scheme, LND has seen the largest community involvement along, among all implementations and currently runs the majority of all network nodes. LND also boasts arguably the largest full-time development team. As a result, the team has managed to build a plethora of value-added services around LND, such as Aperture and the liquidity services Lightning Loop and Pool. Roastbeef said that despite being a new technology, Lightning is being recognized more broadly and plenty of research papers have been published as of late. Quote, it's really cool to see people recognizing this is something worth working on, he said. From research comes development, and Lightning Labs also recently proposed Taro, a new protocol that leverages Lightning to transfer assets on Bitcoin, which can be issued with Taproot. Quote, having assets at the edges of the network, you retain the security of Bitcoin and increase the network effects, Roastbeef said. Core Lightning. Core Lightning, previously known as C-Lightning is a flexible and lightweight implementation of the Lightning Network, allowing it to be run in low-spec devices. Blockstream's approach seeks to empower users to make Core Lightning their own by using plugins that increment the solid foundation that the node provides. Core Lightning also places heavy emphasis on bolts, the specification documents that define the basic features of all implementations. Quote, Core Lightning has always been the Lego block kind of node where you can swap parts. 
we've gotten feedback from researchers saying that they could just get a plug in and add it to their nodes to test things quicker, Decker said, commenting on the flexibility of Core Lightning. Blockstream's implementation was built from the ground up, leveraging the base specification documents of Lightning technology to create a fully compliant software. Core Lightning focuses on doing the basic with security and efficiency, leaving it up to the user to add what they need on top with the plugins. A downside to this approach is that Core Lightning currently requires a little bit of work from the user to get up and running. Given its efficiency and lightweight footprint, however, Core Lightning is better suitable for low-spec devices. Blockstream's implementation also has developed a new set of features that extend the current functionality of the base specifications, which are often draft specs or spec proposals, including collaborative channel openings, liquidity ads, and Bolt 12. LDK. LDK, on the other hand, brings an approach of abstraction, lifting the burden of low-level lightning technology details from developers so they can easily and quickly add lightning network capabilities to the application they already have. Instead of providing a fully-fledged node, LDK seeks to bring a toolkit to help people build on Lightning. Quote, LDK has some pre-built things. However, you want to sync the blockchain, we have an API similar to what you'd be doing to sync the blockchain, Corallo said. LDK doesn't take a stance on what people should or should not do, end quote. As mentioned earlier, LDK abstracts low-level concepts of Lightning development to enable easier integration of Bitcoin scaling protocol by abstracting the networking and database inferences. For instance, LDK allows developers to run LDK inside of a browser that requires WebSockets and to enjoy more flexibility when it comes to storing and managing Lightning state data. Quote, you can take LDK and run it on a browser window today. It's super lightweight, costs nothing, works great, Corallo said. Cash App, the payments application from financial services company Block Inc., recently added Lightning Network functionality leveraging LDK. Spiral is also a subsidiary of Block, though it is an independent organization. So there you go. There's your main implementations of Lightning kind of broken down a little bit so you can pick or choose. Personally, I use LND simply because that's what came with or is available on my node, which is a software that I use on my Raspberry Pi uh, to run not only my core node for uh, Bitcoin, but also clearly for my Lightning node network, which is about two feet away from me. Um, for right now, LND works just fine on my Raspberry Pi. However, I note the fact that it may come in the future that it becomes a little bit too large for uh, a Raspberry Pi to run. I hope not, but you know they're going to continuously develop on LND. And I do hope that the guys over at uh, over at my node um, start offering a different, maybe C Lightning, you know. Uh, or something like that, so that we can I can bring the the specs back down to a Raspberry Pi because I I really don't want to spend a lot of money on my node because if I have to start spending a lot of money on my node, that is a signal to me that less and less people will spend that money to run their own nodes, and the less nodes on the network is the less support the network has. The more nodes that are running, the more support the network has. So low spec stuff is critical for us moving forward into the future. Now, Grayscale, pretty pissed off about the new futures ETF, and I don't blame him. Grayscale CEO pleads Bitcoin spot ETF as SEC backs its third BTC futures ETF. Joseph Hall from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Institutional investors rejoice as there is one more way to be stupid, I mean, to gain exposure to Bitcoin without actually owning the underlying asset, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission announced overnight the approval of a fourth Bitcoin futures exchange traded fund. Fund Group Twicrium, or however you pronounce it, is behind the most recently approved Bitcoin futures ETF. The ETF grows, uh, joins a growing number of approved futures ETFs, complementing ProShares, Valkyrie, and Van Eck. Um, every Bitcoin spot ETF has been rejected to date. For one interested observer, however, the way in which the approval was made could be a boon for expectant spot investors. 
In a Twitter thread, Grayscale CEO Michael Schonenschein once again banged the drum for a Bitcoin spot ETF, which is different than a futures ETF. They're completely different. Spot, you actually own the underlying asset. Futures, you're just betting on the price. One is gambling, one is not. Well, there's all. I guess it's kind of all gambling, but at least you get to buy the asset with the spot ETF. Uh, 71st on the list of Cointelegraph's top 100, Sun and Shine manages the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, one of the main avenues for buying Bitcoin in the traditional world. He tweeted that, quote, if the SEC is comfortable with the Bitcoin futures ETF, they must also be comfortable with a spot Bitcoin ETF, end quote. His argument surmises that as, quote, all Bitcoin futures ETFs are created equal and that the Tucrium falls under a 1933 act and not the 1940 act, which the other three ETFs fall under, then the argument for filing a Bitcoin spot ETF becomes stronger. He has been a prominent proponent and protagonist for the creation of a Bitcoin spot ETF for some time. The company shared plans to convert the GBTC trust into an ETF in October of 2021. With over $35 billion in assets under management, the GBTC trust is the largest in the legacy financial world. The conversion to a spot ETF would be consequential. Bloomberg analyst Eric Balchinus shares his view that it's a good sign for spot, meaning a Bitcoin spot ETF. However, while investors wait with bated breath for a Bitcoin spot ETF, analyst Doomberg suggests that the issue may not relate to different acts, but due to the fact that the futures contracts are settled in cash. Gary Gensler, chair of the SEC, may in fact be blocking the spot ETFs because as long as funds flow into spot ETFs faster than they are redeemed, the net effect provides U.S. dollar exit liquidity for those looking to cash out their Bitcoin. In the meantime, ProShares recently filed with the SEC for a short Bitcoin strategy ETF as the Bitcoin spot ETF saga continues. So a great, an entire futures Bitcoin ETF based off of shorting it. This is being done on purpose. Now, it's not that we need, okay? It's not that we need a spot ETF because we didn't really need any ETF. But my argument here is that to balance the stupidity of having so many futures ETFs where you don't actually own the underlying article itself, you just, you're just betting on the price. To balance that stupidity out, you need the ability for people to actually buy and hold the actual underlying asset. It just doesn't make sense to have nothing but futures ETFs on an asset without actually being able to purchase the asset itself in the same type of vehicle. And the re I mean, of course you're screaming, well, why don't you just buy it, you know, buy it and, and sweep it to your, your, your own hardware wallet. Well, yeah, that's me. I'm a private citizen. I'm retail, man. I mean, I ain't nothing, but by law, pension funds, retirement funds, hedge funds, all these other people, the only way they can get exposure is through an ETF in a legal means. But the only ETFs that they can get exposure to are futures ETFs. They don't have the ability to actually buy Bitcoin right now. The fireman's, you know, the fireman's of Pennsylvania's, you know, pension fund is not allowed to actually purchase Bitcoin, the actual asset. They can buy the futures for the pension fund, but they cannot buy the asset. That's an imbalance. So the, the force right now is out of balance. Speaking of the force, <clears throat> somebody who has been a force in Bitcoin for quite some time, but has basically took a, uh, he basically kind of like got below the radar for the last few months. He's not on Twitter anymore right now. But Nick Zabo says Bitcoin secures itself and does not ask for permission. Bitcoin Magazine, Namcios. Computer scientist and cryptographer Nick Zabo spoke on the Bitcoin 2022 conference's main stage today to shed light on the history preceding the invention of Bitcoin. Unbeknownst to many, Bitcoin represents the culmination of decades of research on cryptography, freedom, and privacy. Quote, 
Bitcoin can operate seamlessly as well as bank the unbanked because of the fact that Bitcoin secures itself and you don't need to ask permission, Zabo said. Cryptography was the necessary key to unlock the ability for Bitcoin to secure itself and the need to remove permission from the monetary equation ultimately rests in taking power away from the government and put it back into people's hands, which ties back to the ideals of freedom, free markets, privacy, and even Austrian economics. Much of the work in cryptography before the 1970s was primarily practiced in secret by military or spy agencies. That changed in the 1980s as Dr. David Chom started writing about and publishing papers on anonymous digital cash and pseudonymous reputation systems. The whole movement spun out of Chom's work, led by those who became known as the cypherpunks, pioneers in the field of applied cryptography who used technology as a means to protect people's privacy in the digital era, especially when it related to money. Quote, cypherpunks wanted to free cryptography from government control and bring it to the masses, Zabo said, adding that they stood for private, non-governmental, non-politicized money. Thinking ahead of their time, the cypherpunks began researching and developing technologies that would protect people's privacy as the status quo forms of communication and money transfer moved from the physical to the digital world. Nick Zabo was one of those cypherpunks and was arguably the one who dove deeper into the quest for a digital form of cash. Zabo's quest culminated in Bitgold, a digital money proposal that leveraged proof of work, a cryptographic trick utilized in Dr. Adam Back's anti-spam currency hash cash. However, Bitgold wasn't an optimal solution. Quote, Satoshi with Bitcoin came up with a much better solution than Bitgold, Zabo said. Bitgold did serve as an inspiration for Satoshi Nakamoto, however. In fact, Nakamoto published the Bitcoin white paper to the cypherpunk mailing list in the same year, but after Zabo posted his Bitgold proposal there. Another notable cypherpunk was Hal Finney, the main author of PGP 2.0 and creator of Reusable Proof of Work, or RPAL who received the first Bitcoin transaction from Nakamoto. Finney's RPAL also leveraged Back's Hashcash. However, his proposal never really took off, Zabo said. Ultimately, Bitcoin was able to elegantly employ the work of the cypherpunks to create a monetary network that secures itself, doesn't ask for permission, can bank the unbanked, and has lived strong for years. Moreover, Bitcoin leveraged the technical work to enable the philosophical ideals put forth by the cypherpunks. So there you go. Uh, Nick, Z- Nick Zabo coming out of retirement, I guess, a little bit. Um, if, you, if he ever gets back on Twitter, uh, Zabo is a good follow. He really is. So keep your eye on him. UFC to pay fighters bonuses in Bitcoin. Scott Cipollina, decrypt.co. Ultimate Fighting Championship, the world's marquee professional mixed martial arts competition, is set to pay fighters bonuses in Bitcoin via a partnership with crypto exchange Crypto.com. The organization will dole out Bitcoin payouts to the top three fighters on every UFC pay-per-view event. Fan votes will determine the three fighters, and those selected will split a total sum of $60,000 worth of the flagship cryptocurrency. According to a statement released by Crypto.com, 30 grand worth of Bitcoin will be given to the first place, 20,000 to the second place, and 10,000 to the third place. Crypto.com has been an official UFC partner for less than a year, and I'm telling you, they are already one of the best partners that we've had. They're constantly coming up with new ideas about how we can work together to connect with the fans, UFC President Dana White said in a prepared statement. This is not the first time Crypto.com has entered the sports marketing world. In November of 2021, the exchange made headlines after forking over $700 million for naming rights to the LA Lakers stadium. In turn, this is not the first time the UFC has dabbled in the world of crypto either. In April of last year, the organization signaled its intent to get involved in uh, NFTs when it filed two patent applications 
The first was a trademark to launch a UFC branded cryptocurrency and the second aimed to provide an app for the UFC's would-be native cryptocurrency. Quote, downloadable software which provides members to receive, access, spend, trade, and manage cryptocurrency, digital currency, digital tokens, non-fungible tokens, digital collectibles, and digital assets. The application read, one month earlier, the then UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ganu made $580,000 from an NFT collection, a figure greater than his guaranteed fight purse for his bout with Stipe Miocic, or however you pronounce it, at UFC 260. So UFC set to do the thing, giving him, giving him Bitcoin, not crypto. Nope, nope, not crypto. No, Bitcoin. That's what they're getting. They're getting Bitcoin. They're not getting some ch- cheap, weird, knockoff, heinous, evil crap. They're actually getting Bitcoin. So there you go. Tennessee Titans also in the news. They're, they have become the first NFL team to accept Bitcoin. Sean Amick going to tell us more about the sporting world and Bitcoin from Bitcoin Magazine. The Tennessee Titans today announced that they are now the first NFL team accepting Bitcoin for key investments through a third-party conversion service. The establishment of this partnership allows fans to offer Bitcoin in payments for season tickets, suites, PSLs, and sponsorship opportunities with the Titans and Nissan Stadium events. Season tickets, suits, PSLs and sponsorship opportunities will be available for fans to purchase with Bitcoin at the Titans and stadium events. Initially, the Titans will only allow Bitcoin for larger purchases and recurring payments, but the team hopes to open up the initiative to allow the purchase of single tickets, merchandise, and at-game food and beverage sales. Yeah, you're going to need lightning for that. Bitcoin Magazine and UTXO Management, a Nashville-based digital assets fund, offered close advice through a partnership with the Titans in order to bring the functionality to the team. Quote, we're proud to partner with the Tennessee Titans as they start their Bitcoin journey and offer fans a new way to pay, said David Bailey, CEO of BTC Incorporated and partner at UTXO Management. Quote, 2022 is a special year as we continue to work with professional sports teams to help educate and further mass adoption of Bitcoin. The Titans are a top NFL franchise and a natural fit for the partnership, end quote. Joining the ranks of ML, sorry, joining the ranks of MLB's Oakland Athletics and the NBA's Sacramento Kings and Dallas Mavericks, the Titans will be the first National Football League team to accept Bitcoin. So it, We're just marching on here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids got sucker punched yesterday in the markets, but are up today. West Texas Intermediate up 0.92% to $97.12 a barrel. Uh, Brent North Sea up... uh, Three two, oh, sorry, two thirds of a point to one hundred and one dollars and seventy nine cents. Natural gas continuing its march upwards, 04 percent to the upside, to six dollars and five cents per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up a bit over a point to three dollars and seven cents per gallon. Gold rallying, well, kind of a rally. Uh, two-thirds of a point to the upside to 1936 bucks. Silver up 0.19% to $24.50. Platinum is down a half point. Copper is up three-quarters of a point. Palladium is up two and a half points. Holy shit. Ag- agricultural futures are mixed. Wheat is down. Soybeans are up 1.22%. Sugar is up one and a half percent. Cotton is up a half. And cocoa is up a half. Dow is going to be down 0.43%, S&P up 0.13%, NASDAQ up a half a point, and the S&P mini is down a point. Real money having struggles today. I firmly believe that somebody is manipulating the market. Sorry. This, I mean, it was going great until the first day of the Bitcoin 2022 conference, and then all hell broke loose with absolutely no freaking news. 
no news whatsoever. And we are at $43,485. I think that shit is being done on purpose. 270,000 transactions in the last 24 hours is 11,200 transactions every hour on the hour with 1.13 million BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 47,300 BTC every hour on the hour with 4.19 BTC as the average transaction value the median transaction value holding at 0.013 BTC or about 576 bucks. Block times are slightly low, nine minutes, 56 seconds. Uh, 0.68 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 10 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 6% rise in hash rate, we're up to 213.22 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 14.6 United States pennies. 1,546 transactions are waiting on one block to clear. We have an $829.2 billion market capitalization, which is 6.5% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may now only purchase a 2 point, no, 22.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million, 5,000, 135.93 and 3,692 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $161.1 million, uh, being run over 19,730 nodes, sporting 84,569 payment channels, and 74.2% of all of it is being run over Tor and the associated 11,696 nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. It is brought to you by beefinitiative.com forward slash the hyphen beef hyphen box. That's right, the beef box. We have the prime box, which is approximately 18 pounds of meat at an average price of $8.88 per pound. And it includes two New York strips, two filet mignons, one roast, four Denver steaks, four Chuck Eye steaks, a whole bunch of ground beef and some short ribs, five pounds of it. In fact, $160. We have the platinum box with 16 pounds of meat, two ribeye steaks, two top sirloins, uh, three pounds of short ribs, one Merlot fajita pack, uh, tri-tip steak, and five ground beef packs at one pack each. If you're more into steak, at $170, you can get 13.5 pounds of meat, two bone-in ribeyes, two bone-in New York strips, two top sirloin steaks, two filet mignons, two chuck eye steaks, two flat iron steaks, three packs of ground beef. Or you can order a custom box, and of course, that varies. Let's see what I would like to have in my custom box. You got 15 rib roasts, 30 10-pound bags of hamburger, we got 12 turkeys, about 40 chickens, 50 sirloin steaks, two dozen of pork rolls, and 20 legs of lamb. You like lamb, Doc? No. Punk-ass kid don't know what's good for him. That's what I want in my box. I want all of that in my box. You can get it, maybe not all that, but you can get most of it from beefinitiative.com. That is beefinitiative.com. That is modern T-Man or Texas Slim's outfit. No, Texas Slim didn't pay me for this advertisement. Why did I do it? Cause I'm trying to help, trying to help. That's what I'm trying to do, trying to help. Unlike sushi and synthetics, even Grayscale has booted sushi and synthetics uh, off of their DeFi fund rebalancing. I bring you this particular piece of news just because even Barry Silbert doesn't like sushi swap. Tom Mitchell Hill is telling us about it from Cointelegraph. Digital asset management firm Grayscale has added three new cryptocurrency assets across three main investment funds while removing two other assets from its decentralized finance fund as part of this year's first quarterly rebalance. Grayscale removed tokens from crypto derivatives decentralized exchange Synthetics and decentralized exchange SushiSwap 
as well as from its decentralized finance fund after the two crypto assets failed to meet the required minimum market capitalization. And no other cryptocurrencies were removed during the rebalancing. That is all I'm going to say about it. Why? Well, because I think we're coming to the end of the ICO 2.0 situation. If you weren't around uh, Bitcoin Twitter or Bitcoin uh, as a, the whole, oh God, I'm going to say it, the Bitcoin space uh, in 2016, 2017, 2018. If you weren't there, then it becomes a little bit difficult to understand what I'm talking about. But we are in the ICO 2.0 phase. Uh, ICOs died out as a fad. And we went through the exact same thing that we're going through now. All these people making all, you know, seemingly making all this money and rug pulls and, and, you know, exit scams. And I mean, everything that you see right now is the same thing that I've already seen. And it feels like we're coming to the end of it because it feels very, very similar to how we were coming to the end of the first ICO craze. Does that mean that we won't have to deal with this shit again? No, it doesn't. Because the answer is yes, we will. We are certainly going to have to deal with this crap again and again and again and again and again. There's just no way to wrap your, for anybody to wrap their arms around it, you know, and begging Gary Gensler and his cadre of, of regulators to come down and save us is probably not the best, you know, thing to do. What is the best thing to do? You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. That's all you really need to do. One fifth of global Bitcoin hash rate is now controlled by listed companies. Again, Tom Mitchell Hill from Cointelegraph. A recent report has shown that nearly one fifth of the total share of Bitcoin's hash rate now belongs to publicly listed mining companies. Guys, be aware, right? It may be a better time to start mining at home than ever before. The report published by Arcane Research details that publicly listed Bitcoin mining companies now account for 19% of Bitcoin's total hash rate, growing considerably from a mere 3% back on January the 1st. The term hash rate refers to the total computing power used by a miner's computing equipment to confirm a transaction. A higher hash rate ensures increased protection against double spending attacks, which is the process of reversing BTC transactions over the blockchain by contributing to at least 51% of the Bitcoin hash rate. While there were only a small number of public mining companies at the beginning of last year, there are now a total of 26 different public companies involved in Bitcoin mining, an increase driven by the growing number of mining companies going public. The report suggests that the growth of the number of public mining companies has been driven by public companies having greater access to capital, which allows them to expand their mining fleets faster than their private competitors. At present, 44.95% of global hash rate emerges from North American miners, according to the latest data from the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index with the massive projected increases in target hash rate among the publicly traded Bitcoin miners, this number is expected to increase, which means that the Bitcoin network will become gradually more centralized over time. The rate of Bitcoin mining has grown substantially over the past few years as the crypto assets hash rate reached a new all-time high of 248.11 exahashes per second on February the 8th. Currently, the network's hash rate is at 213.16 exahashes per second, roughly 213 quintillion hashes per second. So there, there you go. It's, it should be noted that this is not the best of situations. Does it mean that Bitcoin fails? No, that's not the point. I'm just saying that we have a chance here at the very base layer of a new industry to make sure that it's not just completely subsumed by all the big players. And Bitcoin mining is one of those industries where uh, quite a bit of uh, hash rate could be had by mobile miners, you know, going out to flare gas fields, small miners at home, you people like heat, you know, using miners to heat water heaters, uh, heat greenhouses, heat their own houses. If you use it in that way, then we have, we have a good chance of being able to stabilize and balance the corporate mining with private mining. Will it happen? I don't know. It's all up to us. I don't have a miner, at least not yet. 
However, I've got a few ideas up my sleeve, but I'm not going to talk about them right now. Continuing on with mining, we have this one from Craig Deutsch, how mining pools adapt to changing market conditions. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine as well. Mining pools are important to the Bitcoin mining ecosystem because they allow small Bitcoin miners, hint, hint, to collect rewards for their hash rate. Small time miners are very unlikely to find the block and receive the block reward on their own. Mining pools improve the chances of individual mining miners finding a block because the pool groups the hash rates of all the miners in the pool acting as one big miner. A group of mining pool specialists sat down together at the mining stage of Bitcoin 2022 to discuss the state of mining pools and ways that the pools are evolving for both retail and industry miners. The panel consisted of Leo Zhang, the founder of Annika Research, Nick Hansen, co-founder of Luxor, Jay Benedict, the director of research at Foundry, Denny Zing, the business development manager at Poolin, and Edward Evanson, the head of business development at Slush Pool and Brains. The panelists started off discussing the major changes that occurred due to hash rate migration. Panel moderator Zhang said, quote, the past year has been a very interesting year in the distribution of the mining industry, especially with the China ban. After the China ban, companies had to prepare for a large influx of American hash rates, said Hansen. Zing expanded on this idea when he said, you see the migration of hash rate not only from China, but Kazakhstan and Ukraine. Stability and security will be an important factor for hash rate, and that's why people are moving to the United States, end quote. The conversation evolved to discussing renewables. Zing said, people are calling for renewables and reusing the heat from mining, which is new for us. Evanson elaborated, the narrative used to be that Bitcoin was funding terrorists and criminals, and now it's that Bitcoin mining is boiling the oceans. But the desire for renewables is not limited to wind and solar power. Bedict shared, quote, Foundry does advising work and we are currently or certainly seeing more interest from those renewable groups. But what's more interesting to me is the flare gas, end quote. He added, the recent trend is pools trying to be green pools. It makes more sense to me for that to be done on the minor level because mining pools don't consume very much energy, quote or end quote. After a short discussion about green energy, the panelists moved on to talk about cultural variance between Chinese and American miners. Hansen said one of the biggest differences between Chinese miners and American miners is treasury management. It seems like most of the American miners are trying to hold the Bitcoin. For Chinese miners, it seems like they were trying to at least sell to cover their operation expenditures. In addition to cultural differences, there are regulatory differences that impact hash rate and where miners choose to set up their operations. Hansen spoke about OFAC compliance. The market seemed to indicate that maybe an OFAC compliant pool would be desired, but it quickly became clear that that was not the case and the pool switched back. Bedict added, over-complying will lead to a more negative outcome. By participating in the Bitcoin mining network, by putting a block on top of another one, you are providing security to all the transactions that came before it. This means that even if a block is mined within OFAC compliance, the previous as well as the following blocks will contain non-OFAC compliant blocks within the chain, rendering the OFAC compliant block pointless. Zhang concluded, quote, there's a lot more money, there's a lot more interest to push for a more friendly regulatory environment, end quote. At the end of the conversation, all of the panelists expressed, ex expressed excitement about the Stratum V2 protocol being further developed. All right, so that, again, if you have a chance to do like some minor mining, if you don't know, yes, you can attach your miner to a pool and you will get a percentage of the block rewards found only by that pool as a percentage of the hash rate you are supplying to the pool. And I'm also very interested in what's going on with Stratum V2 as well. Georgia governor candidate makes Bitcoin legal tender priority number one. This is Andy Savage writing for bitcoinnews.com. Bitcoin supporter Shane Hazel has made the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender the first priority in his campaign to be the Republican candidate 
in the next gubernatorial election. Realizing the importance of Bitcoin, this is the first statement on his website. Quote, empowered people through separation of money and state. End quote. He goes on to outline the rights he believes people have. No one, including government, has a claim on you, your life, property, or your money. Ten other rights are outlined and then summed up thusly. Quote, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. End quote. While this may be too much for the noisy people who dominate the news, it may ring true with enough thinking people to earn him the post of governor. Well, we can hope. Georgia will lead the world in freedom, jobs, energy through the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender, says Shane Hazel. If Hazel wins the candidacy, he has a good chance of winning. Wait, that's a bad sentence. If he wins the candidacy, he has a good chance of winning the actual governorship. Georgia only became a swing state in the most recent elections, elections where the most popular president in all history was elected. So at best, it is very marginal. There is actually a chance of something good happening in politics. It's a crucial time to have people with knowledge and conscience active in the world. Georgia, like many other states, is working hard on a central bank digital currency. Time alone will tell how well Hazel will stand up against the tyranny such a currency will enable. But his words are good, and there are indeed rare occasions when politicians do the right thing. With statements like, you have the right to say no to anyone and give no reason at all, and you have the right to run your business on your terms without interference from government, Hazel indicates a better than usual understanding of freedom. Most politicians and most tyrants too will pontificate on the support to gain support, but have little to no idea what that actually means. And of course, no intention of helping people achieve it. Humanity has the means to be free and to reach heights previously unknown. It's all there. The question is, will people make the effort to rise to full potential or will we let the fear mongers drag us all down into oblivion with them? If Hazel becomes the Republican candidate, we may have a chance to see. Party politics is mostly a sham, but occasionally a real thinking human gets through. So there you go. Let's just kind of, I just want to check out this. Oh, that goes to a, a uh, never mind. That goes to a, uh, I was I was looking at a at a link and it goes to a podcast and not where I thought it was actually going to go. The reason that I was looking was simply because I wanted to make sure we weren't talking about the country of Georgia because there was at least one sentence in there that made me think that it was, but no, no, no. It is in fact what I what I thought it was, and it is actually for the state of Georgia in the United States, that governorship, okay? So not like some other weird office in the country of Georgia. We we're we're good with that. Okay, Bitcoinist.com. Uh, who the hell's writing it? I have no idea. But <clears throat> why a Twitter edit button could be disastrous for crypto users. Twitter and crypto have gone hand in hand for a long time, which is why we, the talk of an edit button has direct implications on the, I know, crypto community. Give me a break, guys. I got to do this. Using the social media platform, the talk of adding an edit button had been one of the, and has been ongoing for a long time. And while Twitter has acknowledged that it's going on, this is the first time that there's been any definitive announcement about the inclusion of an edit button on the site. There have been mixed reactions since the announcement and that it was planning to introduce an edit button for tweets. And some users of the platform have raised issues regarding how a Twitter edit button could lead to bad actors defrauding people of all their money. <clears throat> One thing that seems to be growing alongside the crypto market has been the number of scams that are being implemented in the space. Even as more people get to know about these scams and how to avoid them, the scammers just keep coming up with new and more sophisticated ways to scam people. This is why some in the space are raising alarm bells about how adding a Twitter edit button can aid these scammers in their schemes. A Twitter user known as Alex Stamos argued that the abuse potential of an edit button is being underestimated. Pointing to a recent scam on Facebook in which the scammers used the edit button to make a scam brokerage look legit, Stamos explained that the Twitter edit button can be abused in the exact same way. A hacked Twitter account with thousands of followers can then be edited to make previous tweets look like it was promoting a project 
making people believe it was legit. <clears throat> the user also lamented the subset of people that had been calling for the edit button saying, quote, the set of people who want an edit function is a proper subset of people who think trust and safety is easy. And if techies were just more ethical and smarter like them, then it could all be solved, end quote. So how can this be prevented? With an important update like this and one that is prone to abuse at such a high level, it is important for there to be countermeasures in place to prevent abuse. In this vein, users of the platform have been sharing ways in which Twitter could effectively prevent the edit function from being used for things like crypto scams. One of the most tweeted suggestions so far has been the addition of a short time frame in which a user can edit a tweet after it's sent out. Mostly, the consensus has been five-minute timeline where a user is able to edit their tweets for typos. After this, the option to edit a tweet is no longer available. The details around this function still remain unknown to the public, but Twitter has announced that the edit feature has been in the works for a year and Twitter Blue Labs will begin testing the feature. This means that it is confirmed that the feature is coming in the future, so it is only a matter of time before users are given access to it. Okay, I have to agree that this is actually not as fun of a feature as we might lead ourselves to believe. <clears throat> I do think that because although on LinkedIn and Facebook, you can edit your shit at nauseam apparently forever and ever and ever. I mean, days later, weeks later, it, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no time function. However, if, if, cause I, I mean, I would like an edit button because I make typos. I make misspellings. I mean, I use a couple of tools like Grammarly, which, which help immensely, but there's also things that like, I'm like going, oh man, I said that in a completely jacked up way. I should rewrite that. And my only recourse right now is to delete the tweet and then retweet it. And the problem with that is that if somebody liked it and I got, you know, like 50 likes on something, I, I'm deleting all those likes on that. And that's important for the algorithm to be able to propagate the tweet around. The more likes, the more shares, the more replies you have all affect how your tweet is treated by the algorithms that uh, Twitter is using for propagation. So if I delete that tweet and rewrite it, I'm not rewriting it at the same time. Not the same people are looking at it. I'm not going to get the same effect as the original tweet. So if I get a chance to edit that thing in a way that makes sense to me, and, I, and let's make the assumption that I'm not trying to scam you, then yes, I want the edit button. However, without a time lock on it or some kind of, you know, time frame for editing, then the whole thing becomes like what the article was talking about, where you can go back and edit every single post that you've ever, that you've ever made to, or somebody hacks your account, they can go back and edit all your shit to where it looks like you've always been a scammer. Okay. So what is an appropriate time frame? Five minutes sounds good when I'm talking about catching a spelling error or catching maybe like a misplaced comma if I'm a, you know, grammar Nazi or something like that. But it's not so good if I completely blew sentencing. Like I don't look at a tweet until like a couple of hours later and go, oh shit, man, I completely destroyed the way that that idea was supposed to come out given my wording. Could be gr grammatically perfect. All spelling could be, you know, done. And yet I still convey a completely different idea. So therein lies a problem. What's an appropriate time frame? Five minutes for being able to correct a spelling error sounds like, like good because you'll hit the tweet button and right as your fingers going down, that's when you notice the spelling error. That always freaking happens to me. So that makes sense. But if you need to like, word an idea a little bit better. I mean, I'm just thinking an hour, maybe two. I'm not sure if you can really scam the shit out of people out of an hour or two, but who knows? The whole thing about game theory is being able to figure out places where you can game the system. And one of the reasons why Bitcoin works so well is that the game theory is so aligned to people acting in the proper way that we have usually pretty good outcomes. 
but Twitter is, is not Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with anything like what Bitcoin is trying to affect or achieve. So therefore it's a completely different set of possibilities when it comes to game theory. So even with a five minute timeout on being able to edit your tweet, we could actually see some very, very conniving people come up with some very, very interesting ways to jack your shit all up. Now, uh, what do we have next? Oh, yelling the felon. We haven't seen a significant evasion of sanctions using crypto, says Janet the felon yelling. Jeff Benson writing it for decrypt.co. Since the United States introduced fresh sanctions on Russia in response to its February 24th invasion of Ukraine, prominent political figures and armchair observers alike have been asking whether cryptocurrency would allow the Kremlin to evade them. Treasury Secretary Janet the Felon Yellen has remained skeptical of that line of thought, stating in early March, quote, It's not that that sector is completely one where things can be evaded. Today, she declared during a hearing of the House Committee on Financial Services that while it is a channel we're worried about, we haven't seen significant evasion through crypto so far. After saying that the Treasury Department continues to monitor the situation, Yellen alluded to the fact that large transactions would be easily viewable on public blockchain explorers and spotted by private analytics firms. She further said, quote, trying to use crypto at large scale simply we think is something that is not really easy to do, end quote. In late February, the United States and allies froze $400 billion in foreign assets owned by the Russian Central Bank, contributing to a currency crisis as the ruble lost much of its value relative to other currencies. Meanwhile, European leaders helped push Russian banks out of the SWIFT network, which financial institutions used to coordinate transactions. In early March, the Biden administration halted imports of oil and gas from Russia. The U.S. has also restricted exports of technology, hardware, and software, making it more difficult for Russia's military to replace parts for the war effort. But some legislature, legislators, most prominently Senator Elizabeth Focahontas Warren, are worried that cryptocurrency provides an end run around such sanctions. In a letter to Yellen in March, Warren joined Senators Dick Warner, Jack Reed, and Sherrod Brown in claiming that crypto assets allow entities to bypass the traditional financial system. Thank God. They have a point. Cryptocurrency ecosystems, especially within decentralized finance, allow people to make transactions without utilizing traditional financial intermediaries. You can swap tokens, lend them out, and earn interest without ever talking to a bank or a broker, but dealing in billions of dollars is a bit different. There's not enough liquidity to tightly or quietly tiptoe around sanctions. Moreover, exchanges play a major role serving as on-ramps and off-ramps to crypto. Said Yellen today, quote, Exchanges... Those who use crypto to get in and out of it, buy things in hard currencies and exchange are subject to anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism regulations. So they're part of the financial system that is subject to those regulations. However, Warren last month told MSNBC that some crypto exchanges weren't doing their part, referring to know your customer regulations, she said, quote, we have a lot of evidence that not all crypto platforms are actually adhering to those rules and collecting the information and then reporting the information and then shutting down where we have sanctions, end quote. If they are, the Treasury Department isn't seeing any evidence of it. So there you go. Even Janet Yellen is saying, we're not, we're just not seeing, we're, all the people that are banging the pots and pans about and the fear mongering and the futtering and all the kind of bullshit that we've been having to deal with. Even Janet Yellen is telling us that she's just not seeing it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Thursday, joke time. Dad says jokes. My twin brother called me from prison. He said, you know how we finish each other's sentences? <laughs> That's a good one. All right. For those of you folks that are still out there in Miami, 
braving the shit coinery that is clearly, clearly running unabated. Do your best to represent yourselves in Bitcoin as best as you can. Deal with the shit coinery, I guess. Hope for a better future and hope for a better set of people to put together conferences that do things to actually vet the people that they have come speak at a Bitcoin conference. I'm clearly not happy about what's going on in Miami. I clearly also don't have fuck all to say about it, right? And that's cool. But, you know, if I don't voice my displeasure, then how does anybody actually know that that I'm displeased about shit? That's called customer feedback, Bitcoin Magazine. And if you, you know, they haven't given me any shit. I've given, I gave them like a a boatload of shit yesterday on Twitter with with their handle in the tweet so that I wasn't trying to hide behind it. I wasn't subtweeting him. I was coming out directly at them, asking him to fucking explain themselves. Right. So they haven't gotten back to me yet and they won't. That's cool. I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, clearly they've got a, they've got a conference going on still. You shouldn't be afraid to call these people out every single day. You shouldn't be afraid to call me out. If I say something stupid or if I, if you think that I'm shilling some kind of coin because I'm reading a, an article, you know, it's okay. Let me know that it's not that I'll automatically change what I do. Sometimes I, I read these stories because they're important for the greater Bitcoin community. But if you're pissed about it, it's okay. Let me know. I, I get it. I really do. So with all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.